Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode. This is your host, David Kim. Hi, Yvonne. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's an honor, Dr. Kim. What, what does Mionga mean? Thank you. Mionga is actually a family name. It's interesting that most people are interested. Um, Mionga is the name of uh, my grandfather. Okay. He was, uh, I never got to meet him. But uh, because this is originally began as a family business and the stories I had about him is that he was a very generous, kind and loving person. I -hmm. say that sounds like a good name to have a business for so that we can uh, extend lots of love and generosity to the rest of the world. Okay. It is a family. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Legacy, legacy from your family and then you every time you remember your, your grandfather running the business, facing the difficulty on the ground, right? Yes, uh, beyond just the name, it's also the values that the name represents. Compassion, yes. I can, I can feel that. I can, I can share that feeling. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking at the, your website, a delicious way of, way of saving food. And then uh, quite interesting. Uh, a lot of, I thought it's uh, you are producing the, the, uh, fruit powder or vegetable powder, but I know the mango, pineapple, baobab. This is a, this is a tree, right? So, do you eat yes. the tree? Can can I, can I eat the tree? <laughs> tree powder? <laughs> no, you can't. But you can eat the seeds, and also you can make uh, the powder out of the seeds, and okay. it's very healthy. It's actually a superfood. So, does that taste like nuts? Yes, it has a nutty feeling, but a little bit of uh, salted nuts, you would say. Okay. Mildly salted nuts. Yeah, it's an ingredient of Coca-Cola is nutmeg, right? That's actually a little bit salty and then what do you call it? The tannin taste is similar to the tea, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Moringa, I know I'm familiar with this name a lot in Africa, a lot of my startup and company are engaged in moringa. I understand this is a, a good ingredient for the perfume, right? Yes, it's actually can be used for more than just uh, perfume, but it's also really good with perfume. Absolutely. Yeah. So can, can can we eat it? Can I eat it? You can add it to your smoothies if you like smoothies. And uh, if you do make porridge, I'm not sure if you know porridge, you can add it to your porridge or add it to uh, your juice or in your ingredients. And some people also are making moringa chocolates. Right. Like chocolates and they so add the moringa. Is it, is it made of, your powder is made of uh, uh, leaves, moringa leaves or what, which part of the moringa? The moringa leaves, they're dried and then they are powdered. Ah, okay. Yes. And then I can see the very interesting product, cricket powder. <laughs> Basically, this is an insect, right? Yes, it is. And this is focused on uh, the group of consumers that want to eat proteins, but they do not want to consume any meat. Uh, so it's a very healthy uh, replacement for meat for Animal people meat. Who mm-hmm. protein as Animal as protein. Protein, yes. Yeah, I, I understand that these days, uh, even fishy farming and also the as uh, like a human consumption, people start uh, consume the like insect or bug as a replacement of animal 
protein, right? That's what I understand. So, uh, is it popular for in Africa? People uh, eat uh, like a cricket or this kind of a uh, insect? Um, surprisingly, it's not so popular. Uh, there are few communities in in Africa, especially maybe in the Congo or in uh, Uganda, that have it. But a lot of the requirements you're getting are actually from Europe, where there's a growing vegan community, vegan community. Uh, oh, so yeah. vegan, vegan, vegan basically allowed to eat the insect. Then. That's what you yes. say. Yes. Well, that's so, interesting. Yes. Uh, it was interesting for us to learn that too. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, probably I'm ignorant, but the, to me, is uh, insect is a living creature as well. <laughs> Why do they eat the insect? I mean, insect. I think they look at insect. the protein's value of it rather than the, um, you know, it's not yeah. really, you're not really eating the flesh of it. They look that it is now in powder form. Yeah, the, they, so they don't feel sorry for eating the insect then. <laughs> right. They don't feel guilty, right? Yeah. Eating, eating the eating the pork and beef, they can they can, they feel sorry for the cow, ox, and pig, but the insect probably they don't sympathize. In. <laughs> It's a joking. Yes, and some also consider the environmental impact that's used in mass production of uh, you know beef, chicken, cow. So the two types of vegan, those that are purely vegan and they would not even touch the insects, and those that would only consume something that is not produced in mass production and uh, has some uh, climate uh, impact. Yes. So uh, I look at the, your, I mean, background profile and then I have, I have, I saw that you have engaged in the like community social activity all the time. So is it social venture? Uh, why don't you start uh, by telling us a little bit about your background, your journey to founding Mionga? Okay, thank you very much. It's an honor to share the story about uh, Mionga. Uh, professionally, I'm trained as a journalist and I've worked in the uh, communication industry for about uh, 11 years before I went into uh, farming as a business. I worked, uh, I trained as a journalist and in the process of training, one of the things that I learned is the power of information as being a very useful tool in helping to make decisions that impact our community. And so um, 11 years ago, so six years ago, I had uh, a very good job, but we also had members of my family who were not employed. And one of the key things that I feel is very important as an individual is that the human beings get dignity from work rather than from donations. So we decided to start a family farm that would be a source of employment for the family. In the process, we had about just 1.5 acres of land. In the process of working on that 1.5 acres of land, we realized that you need more than three people to actually do the tilling and the planting. So we had to have employed some women around the community to come and work in the farm. But the farm was small, 1.5 acres is really small. So I would ask what happens on the day that we do not have uh, any work at the farm? Where do these women go? And this is about 10 to 20 women. I uh, was told that they have to go to different uh, villages looking also for work. So I made up my mind to try and get the farm to be big and successful so that this woman would have a reliable source of income. In that same process, when we asked the women to actually um, 
sign for their payment. Some would refuse to sign. And we asked, I tried to find out why. And I was told most of them had no education. And so uh, they could not sign. I say to myself, I cannot make a difference on their education, but I can make sure that the farm is successful enough for them to have a stable, regular source of income to ensure that their children could get a better education. The problem of them not signing was solved through the mobile payment system that we currently have. So in summary, in the last six years, we have grown from just 1.5 acres of land to 10 acres that we were doing are now French beans for export and now to a much bigger uh, export company registered for export that's exporting to six different destinations across the world. And uh, we are exporting now uh, fresh fruits, that's uh, avocado and French beans, as well as powders, mango, baobab, pineapple, banana, moringa, as well as dried fruit, mango, pineapple, banana, uh, jackfruit, uh, papaya, and coconut. That's the summary of uh, what we do. Yeah, I I can feel that uh, looking at your background, I can feel that you have you have a strong interest in the social activity, community activity, and the, solving solving the social problem, right? So, what problem are you solving by running your business and relative challenges in the food sector? So, what problem are we solving? Number one. As an organization, when we started to get into export, we realized that a lot of fruits were going to waste. This is because the export market has a certain specification. And the challenge with the local farming is that we do not have farmers that have huge tracts of land. They have probably one acre and they have few trees that they're growing. So you have to do aggregation of the fruits from the different farmers. This means that not all the product has the same quality, a lot of that ends up going to waste at the farm gate level. So we started to think about solving the problem of food waste. Why is this problem important? Number one, when the farmer cannot sell the produce, it means they are lacking income. And when they do not get the income, they are unable to reinvest into the education of their children. Secondly, it's a waste of the natural resources. And thirdly, it food waste also helps to contribute to climate change. So we are probing the solvent of food waste and creating opportunities for the local com communities for employment as well as to earn income. Got you. Yeah. So how does your supply chain works? Our supply chain works in a very interesting way because uh, because of the ecological and geographical zones that we have in the country, you have different fruits that come into season in different times of the year. This means we have to have a supply from different types of uh, farmers from different regions of the country. So what we have is contracted farmers. These are farmers who we have registered as part of our supply chain. Most of them are members of our cooperative. They're registered members. We know their location. We know how big their farms are. We collect all that data. And we do this using a digital traceability tool that help us to know where each farmer is, when they're harvesting, what crop they're growing. Then when we contract this farming cooperatives, as well as individual farmers that have bigger farms, we are able to then schedule our production, collection, and harvest throughout the year. So from the contracting of the farmer, supporting them to make sure that they're growing the type of fruit we need and the quality that the market wants, and then doing the collections and processing. I see. Yeah, I'm familiar with that business model. So sounds like you are the supply chain manager in the ecosystem rather than the 
food processing company? Um, we actually try to do both. Let me say the difference between the models that you are aware of and how we work is that we have changed the model in such a way that we do not have a central processing unit. What we have is a mobile processing factory that goes to the farm. When they harvest, we process the fruit in the farm. How oh, do we do that? That, that's, we that sounds very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Very we train the farmers. We train the farmers on how to do the processing, so that they are not just producing raw materials, but they know how to do value addition at the farm gate level. This helps to reduce the amount of waste that also happens during the logistical process. So that's what makes the difference between our model and the different traditional model, where you go to the farm, collect all the produce, come and process it. No, we take the factory to the farm, process it there. We only come out to the raw with already processed product yeah very interesting very creative idea <laughs> yeah. it took us a while to learn it and it's 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 thank you for the comment <laughs> right and then the how do you sell pro the product yours do you sell the product locally to the local consumer or are you ex exporting the your product into the overseas market the products we have has demand both locally and internationally. Uh, the international demand is actually higher volumes than the local demand yeah. because uh, the, we have a lot of the fresh fruits already locally. So the local community is not so used to dried fruits, although a lot of people are starting uh, to get used to dry fruits. But if they can get the fresh, they're not so much interested in the dried. But the export market, especially in Europe, where they do not have tropical fruits throughout the year, mm -hmm. there we're getting, we have actually more demand that we can supply and are actually trying to seek how we can expand and scale up to meet the current demand we have in Europe. I see. You you have run the business uh, already more than six years. Uh, that's uh, quite a long time already. So what has been biggest mistake while running our Mionga so far? I understand the entrepreneur like you, uh, I mean, going through the lot of mistake, trying to error and the people doing business models uh, so many hundreds of time, right? That's the most important part of entrepreneurship journey. So what do you think has been biggest mistake you have made? And then uh, what did you learn from that? <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, surprisingly, uh, just like all other entrepreneurs, first, of course, you're very optimistic and you have some rose-tainted glasses. You think everything is going to be smooth. And so in the end, you get to learn that there are various stages of growth that you need to go through before you scale up. Luckily, we had different partners that helped us to plan and stage our growth so that we were not growing either too fast or too slow, which leads to what I now, looking back, consider as the biggest mistake is actually limiting myself in terms of the potentials of what we could actually do. I wish that I dreamt bigger and took bigger risks because right now we are at a situation where the demand is higher than the supply and I'm thinking, what if I'd identified this demand earlier? So it's helped me to be more forward thinking in terms of the growing trends and planning more for the future, producing for the future than just trying to meet the immediate business needs. Got it. Yeah. What is uh, your next step on top of your mind and what is your long-term vision and game for the Mionga? 
<laughs> Thank you. So currently Mionga is operational in Kenya and also we have uh, lots of uh, collaborators and partners in East Africa, that is in uh, uh, Tanzania and Uganda, which are our neighboring countries. And uh, because of the unique business model we have where we are having a mobile food factory, we have received a lot of interest in people who want to uh, see if they can try out that same model. So we would want to see that a lot of the other foods that are going to waste across Africa and starting probably with East Africa and then growing gradually to the rest of, uh, of, of Africa uh, can actually have access to this uh, mobile food factory. And then setting up a central multi-food processing unit that will be used for quality control as well as training for the rest of the other uh, uh, countries and uh, uh, units that will be interested on how to make the mobile food factory work. So in short, number one, we are in three counties now. We foresee that in five years, we want to be in about 27 of the counties that produce different fruits. Then beyond that, in the next uh, three three years, in 27 counties, five years, we want to make sure that the model, mobile food factory can be replicated and reproduced and, 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 and dispatched across Africa with the headquarters being in Nairobi where we want to set up a huge multi-fruit processing factory for control, testing, research, and uh, training purposes for the rest of the continent. Got it. Which part of the overseas market do you plan to focus on? I, cannot, uh, I can imagine maybe you have more demand from US, Europe, yeah, mm -hmm. how about the demands in the potential in the Asian market? Well, the interest in the Asian market, we have seen lots of interest uh, that people do want to get lots of dried fruit. Uh, so for us, will be to first make sure that we know the land export requirements for the Asian market. If we do get uh, enough data that proves that there is demand for the product in Asia, and for the powders, we can already see that it's used as a key ingredient in cosmetics. As you mentioned earlier, it's used in oil, it's used in perfumes, as well as the baobab. Then see if it makes uh, sense to actually go ahead and register and have someone take care of our sales and marketing in uh, the Asian market. Currently, we have someone taking care of Germany and someone taking care of France, because that's where we have a big demand in Europe for, for the product that we produce. Uh, so the European market, American market, and of course, Asia for us, it sounds like an interesting market, especially for the powders to be used as a key ingredient in processing of other food products. Got it. Gotcha. So last question, who is the nicest person you have ever met in your life? <laughs> and why? Why, why and do you why? think? That? Yeah, it's very interesting that you ask that because for me, I've come to learn in retrospect, and I thought about it a lot, is that each individual you meet in this world has their unique quality that makes them nicer than the next person that you met or makes them nice. Like we all have a very good quality that is unique as long as you take uh, the time to actually listen and reach. So I'll probably rephrase your question and say, the person that I've met that I will say was nicest and had the most high impact for me. I'm looking at niceness in terms of impact, how yes. they influenced my life, how they made me change how I think is actually, <laughs> and you probably might know him, is uh, is, is actually uh, Dr. Kim, who's a professor in the Institute of Green uh, Biotechnology Institute in Korea. Have you been to Korea so before? 
Yes, yes, I have been oh. twice oh. there. I have been I there. I didn't twice. know that. Uh, is yeah. it Dr. Kim? Same as yes, my Dr. family Kim. name. Same as your family name. But uh, don't don't call <laughs> the Mr. Kim on the street in Korea. Twenty percent uh -huh. of people look at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I had to specify that he's from the Institute of Green Biotechnology. Okay. He's a professor there. He's a head professor, and despite his seniority and all his knowledge, I learned one very important quality from him, and that is humility and yes. a strong work ethic yes. very strong work ethic yeah. very professional but humble you wouldn't know yeah. how knowledgeable and wise and how much information he has because he keeps it humble and he's a, he has a way of sort of influencing you to be humble just by observing him he doesn't tell you to be humble you just watch him and you learn humility is a very very good yes, quality i talking. agree I agree. Humility is a very, very important value we need to keep. Even if, uh, I mean, people make a success. I, I observed a lot. And some mm -hmm. people, they, when they make a success, huge success, financial success, uh, mm -hmm. it is a human being that become, I mean, overconfident overnight, right? So yes, that is, that, yes. is a, that they forget about the last night. That's, a, that's not a good thing in our life. So uh, Humility is a good value we need to keep all the time. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And I believe when, when you are compassionate towards people, then it makes you humble. You always think of them yes. higher than you think of yourself. So he's the nicest that has taught me that so far. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So we can be a nicest person to someone else in some someday, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much for taking time to sharing, sharing the, your beautiful I mean, professional journey and uh, with the purpose. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a great honor and a privilege and I wish you all the best as well. Yes, let's stay in touch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends and drop me a review. Bye.